0: Well, thank you, Brother Dale. And I'm glad uh, that you are here tonight, and we're going to kind of give an introduction to the uh, study that we're going to do. And uh, I know a lot of you bought books this morning, and I appreciate that. You can do that again tonight if you weren't able to this morning. And we encourage you to do that because it'll be a great blessing to you, okay? And so I think we'll start off by showing you kind of a A couple of minutes uh, long video that introduces all of this and I think you'll hear from uh, Paul Tripp himself
1: at the outset this book on doctrine will, will seem to be different than all the other books I've written I'm sort of the parenting guy or the marriage guy or the money guy but they're all just theology books I don't Have any expertise in any of those areas. But I think the theology of the Word of God, these precious doctrines, say a ton about these areas. The intention of this book is not to do an exhaustive systematic theology, but to take 12 core doctrines, 12 things that every Christian would say they believe, and say, how do you live out of these these doctrines, form a culture for my living? So if you allow yourself to be taught by this book, how to apply a doctrine to your life, you ought to be able to do that with other doctrines that you believe as well. I chose 12 that are core doctrines as a means of teaching you this is the way doctrine needs to be handled. Now go do that with everything else you believe.
0: Okay, so we want to talk tonight about why we would want to do this. I mean, after all, this is a church you've been taught doctrine for years, and uh, you, a lot of you know it very, very well. Uh, but as we thought about this, there's always a time, as, we, uh, as I mentioned in the opening, uh, that song, Come Thou found of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Every once in a while we need to tune up. And you can think of that in an automotive sense or you can think of it in a musical sense. Sometimes we just need to get in tune and uh, in step with the God that we love the God that we serve the God that we worship because it's far too easy to just kind of drift and not even realize that you are drifting we've all been to the beach where you're out there playing in the water and then uh, when you get ready to go back up to where your umbrella is and your ice chest and all of that you look back toward the shore and it's not there and you find out that you've walked quite a ways down you didn't even know that was happening and it's so easy Uh, For us to drift like that. And so this is kind of a reset as we think about it. Um, I think that as Southern Baptists we have a a deficiency in all of this. I've been in churches before where the deacons really could not explain any doctrine. And they couldn't do any teaching or anything like that. They didn't even live exemplary lives sometimes. But they had a thing in their pocket. Boy, they knew that church constitution. It was 1985, maybe 86. And Sammy and I were living in uh, Dallas, and I was serving at a church in Irving, Texas. And the pastor was going to be gone on a Wednesday night, and he said, Could you cover everything? I said, Everything? And he goes, Yeah, go ahead and lead the music, and then uh, preach. And he said, oh, and by the way, that's business meeting night as well. Well, I wasn't used to doing business meetings or anything like that. And uh, he said, you think you can do it? And I go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can. I've watched and attended enough. I think I can do those kind of things. And so I remember the night went really well. People sang well. We had a good attendance. And then uh, they responded well when I preached. And then when I got through, I said, well, it's our church conference night as we called it there, and so I uh, have been asked by the pastor to moderate this, so I'll call the church into our business session, and we'll start off with the reading of the minutes. Miss Joy Deaton, you're our church clerk. Would you read the minutes? Miss Joy was right on the front row, and she stood up as she always did, and she read the, me- the minutes of the meeting, and I said, all in favor of receiving the, uh, accepting the minutes as read, would you uh, indicate by an uplifted hand, and, and so they did that. And before the hands could go down, and before I could say any opposition, because you have to say that even if there's not any, this one man goes, The Constitution and bylaws of the church state that in the absence of the pastor, that's really the way he sounded, the chairman of the deacons is to conduct the meeting. I'm 25. Kind of looked around and I go, uh, well, I I don't know anything about that, but I know the pastor asked me to do this, the constitution and bylaws of the church, and he went through it again. So I looked down at Miss Joy, the church clerk, and uh, she said, don't worry about that. And She stood up and she goes, this church follows our pastor, and if our pastor asks our associate pastor to do this, that's what we're going to do. The Constitution and... I mean, it was that kind of a thing. And Brother Bud, the chairman of our deacons, just one of the nicest, sweetest guys you've ever known in your life, he spoke up and he goes, I'm the chairman of the deacons. And he goes, and unfortunately, Jim is right. And I said, Brother, if you want it, be my guest. And I have never seen... well. That guy that was making that ruckus, his wife was so upset, she got up and walked to the other side of the auditorium. She wouldn't even sit by him. Well, they went ahead with the meeting. It was the shortest meeting that the church had ever had in my time there because nobody wanted to talk, nobody wanted to do anything. They were embarrassed. They were humiliated. They felt bad for me. I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. And... Um, So it was about uh, a week or two later that I was sitting in the front of the church. There's that noise again. And um, the uh, man came up to me and he goes, I just want you to know there wasn't anything personal the other night. And I said, well, really, since I was the guy it was directed to, it sure felt personal. And he goes, well, and I said, Brother Jim, I'm new here. I've never read the Constitution and bylaws of the church. You know what he said? Neither have I. I just know that's the way it is. Uh Uh-oh, we better do something here. I just know that's the way it is. Is it better now? I'll just hold it. Most of the time. And uh, he said, so I just, you know, took a shot at it. You know, that is so unChristlike for one thing, and so antithetical to the unity of the body and the way things ought to go, but that seemed to be in those days there were deacons in the church and other men in the church who knew the constitution of the church better than they knew the New Testament. Something wrong with all of that. Some of them would carry around the little pamphlet, the Baptist faith and message. And it's a tiny little thing. It's adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention as a uh, summary of our doctrine. Really? You have it in a tiny little pamphlet like that. And I had the feeling that that's about about all anybody knew. In fact, uh, I've got a book here. It's a Southern Baptist book. It's an older book. And it's called Our Doctrines. Okay? I want you to think about this. There they are. kind of pathetic. And we wonder why our convention has struggled. We wonder why liberalism invaded our convention. We wonder why we have trouble standing on things and being solid on things like that. It uh, is kind of pitiful. But this is because we don't really care that much about our doctrine. We don't want to really get all that deep into our doctrine. And we would rather argue about doctrine rather than let it transform our lives. And there's the problem. We can fight, and we can put other people down, and we can criticize other people, and we can uh, get into arguments and fights over all kinds of things and not really appreciate one another or the God that has given us His Holy Word. Because really, in my opinion, things like this, are actually a reflection on what we think about the Bible. It's not really worth our time. We've got to be able to read it quick. It's got to be just really, really short and simple and uh, just very few things in there or we're not really interested in it. And then we have the audacity to call ourselves people of the book. Hmm. I went to uh, school at... Uh, Criswell College, named after Dr. W.A. Criswell, the longtime pastor at First Baptist Dallas. And I took a course in systematic theology. And I want you to notice the difference. I'll put it like this. Notice the difference. I was taught by Dr. David Dockery, and um, he was the systematic theology professor And since then, he's done a lot of work at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He was the president of Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Currently, and and pretty recently, he's become the uh, president of Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And this is what we studied. I've read all of this. I had to write papers on all of these kind of things, summarizing all of them. And this is what I was used to. I read about things in here I'd never, ever heard of. I'd never heard them preached. There were people and church history people and doctrines and creeds and confessions and history and things like that. I mean, I took a lot of other things as well, things I'd never heard of. Now, one of the things that uh, some of the Reformed churches like Presbyterian churches and things like that, if they're conservative, let me add that on there. They are very good about educating their people in what they believe and going deep into those things and reciting those confessions every week. We just don't do that very much. And so we have raised several generations of people that are more interested in the politics of the church than they are the actual doctrines of the church and of the faith, and they're more interested in being good Baptists than they are in being good Christians. That's why our church is split. That's why they fight. That's why people go from church to church to church to church, and then it devolves into this thing like this isn't working for us, so just find something that you like regardless of what they believe, and so we're finding that our influence on our culture is just uh, waning and waning and waning. We uh, thought back in the 80s when we thought in the Southern Baptist Convention on the battle for the Bible, as it was called. And we were told back then, I was a young man and I embraced it like you would not believe. And uh, they told us, you're going to be a part of a great movement and a great revival. And I remember a man preaching to us saying this, as goes the Southern Baptist Convention, so goes the nation. And boy, we were, amen, boy, we're ready to go. We're ready to attack hell with a water pistol, so to speak. And we thought that this is going to be the answer. We're going to take this stand. We're going to have revival. And we're going to conquer this nation for Christ. Well, it didn't happen. And since then, there's even been another drift. Because even though we might say the Bible is inerrant... We don't really believe it's sufficient. There's other things and other sources of truth. And it doesn't really matter where you get it as long as you get it. And we don't really anchor ourselves to the Bible and to the Bible alone. And uh, so things have deteriorated rapidly in our culture, in our nation from 1985 until now. Those of you who are old enough, you could say amen to that, couldn't you? And uh, there are things that are happening and people that are drifting. And so uh, why would we do this in a church like this? Why would we do that? Because we need to tune our hearts to sing His grace. The hymn says, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's what we need. We've got to get in tune with God. We've got to have our hearts right with him. And we've got to embrace the things that he says and that he teaches. God did not give us his word so that we could look at it, read it, and then discuss whether it's applicable to our society or not. We didn't get, He didn't give us his words simply to satisfy our curiosity. Oh, so that's what they thought back in Abraham's day or Moses' day or Jesus' day. It's not about satisfying curiosity. It's about our lives. And so uh, covering the introduction, and you can, I'm not going to go, while we do all of this, we are not going to get up here and read the book, okay? You read the book. We're going to summarize it. We're going to highlight some Various things for you and uh, hopefully help you to come to a greater understanding of the things that are written in the book and to make sure we're all on the same page. But you read the book. We encourage you to do that. Now, so why this study? Well, first of all, I would say it's because there is a gap, a dichotomy, a problem in what we believe and the way that we behave. Now, I was brought up with the idea, if you don't behave it, you don't really believe it. I I think that's true uh, to a large degree. But at the same time, I saw people that seemed to genuinely love the Lord, and they really did believe truth, and they stood on the truth, and yet they had trouble in their home life. They had trouble getting along with people in the neighborhood. They had trouble getting along with people. In fact, let me just say this. Some of the meanest people I have ever seen are in the church, and of those people that are mean like that in the church, they tend to be some of the most knowledgeable people in the church. So what happened? There was a gap between what they believed and believed very well and how they actually lived. And so we all have that. Now, let's be honest. We all have a gap. in what we all do those things where we say, I knew better than that. I knew I shouldn't have done that. What what was I thinking when I did that? And there's a gap between what we believe and uh, how we behave. Now, the goal of sanctification, that progressive thing that happens the moment that you're saved until you are taken to glory, is to make the gap smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. That's why we need the Word of God every single week. That's why we need the Word of God more than just, uh, you know, for an hour on Sunday morning. We need it daily. We need to gather together. We need to learn things. We need to be reminded of things. We need to be convicted about things. How long has it been since old-fashioned fashion, Holy Spirit conviction hit you from the Word of God and caused you to repent? Now, you remember when that used to happen regularly, but have you gotten to the place to where the Bible can't teach you anything anymore? Have you gotten to the place to where anybody that you hear preach or teach in a Sunday school class or something, well, they don't know as much as I do, so why should I listen to them? That is a dangerous place to get to, and it's also a place of pride, and uh, we don't want to be there because pride "...goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall." And as a result, we are seeing a lot of people, it's almost uh, every week or two, you hear about some prominent person, not just a Baptist, but in all uh, brands of Christianity, that they walk away from their ministry. They walk away from faith. They walk away from the Bible. And uh, deconstruction is what it's called. In the book of 1 Timothy, it's called making shipwreck, actually, And uh, a lot of people are doing that. What is going on? We want to avoid that. And so the first reason that we do this, we're going to basically talk about two tonight, is because we all have gaps between what we believe and how we behave that need to be narrowed. Narrowed. And uh, Tripp calls it in the introduction, it's a dichotomy. There are two different things. We don't always look in the world and in the workplace and in the home like we do here. We don't always act there like we act here. And something's wrong when those things do not seem to add up. Well, it confuses people. It certainly confuses our children. And then uh, when people fall morally and we thought they were just staunch, wonderful Christians and now look and what was really going on. It's confusing and it's disheartening. It's one of those things to where it causes us to question anybody and everybody. And some people even then say, well, if people say they believe this, but they don't live it, maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not really anything to stake your life on. And I think that's why a lot of young people are just simply walking away from the church. And there's a large number of churches all across the United States that after COVID, they never opened back up. They weren't able to. They couldn't gather people. They couldn't keep the finances going or anything like that. Where did all those people go and uh, some of them never went back to church at all? Well that's a sad situation and yet they're the ones that will hammer their children and um, try to make uh, their children to be moral and to be Christian and all of that but they don't set a good example. Tripp said something like this. I'm just going to read it uh, to you. I thought it was extremely good. This dichotomy I am describing is a dangerous, God-dishonoring, spiritually debilitating, idolatry-producing, moral resolve-weakening, relationship-damaging, and body-of-Christ-weakening spiritual dynamic that gives the devil a huge opportunity in our hearts and lives. I think he's right. And I think it's when our doctrine is something something that we simply affirm or sign off on, but we don't really embrace, we don't really understand, we don't really think it's all that important. It's just a bunch of dusty old books that sit on the shelf or something like that. But does it have any real relevance to our lives? Does it change us when we learn these things And when we apply them to our lives? Well, it is supposed to, and that's where the problem is. Do we apply those things to our lives? When you think about the Bible, you think about uh, everything hinges on the first four words in Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. Now, we don't have to go any further than that uh, because if that is true, then that means everything else matters. And it means our lives matter. And it means our conduct matters. It means our faith matters. It means our trust matters. All of that that's written in the Bible for us is a big, big, big deal. But Think about this. If in the beginning God is not true, then none of it matters. None of it has any relevance or any application. It's just theory. It's just ideology. Uh, It's just myth and fable all of those kind of things so why in the world should we bother and that is where a lot of people are landing today theology the study of God the knowledge of God used to be called the queen of all the sciences now it's been thrown aside tossed aside And it uh, sets over in a pile of rubble, and we don't pay much attention to it because we think, oh, that's for the experts, that's for the eggheads, that's for the intellectuals, when really everybody, everybody in this room and everybody on the earth, for that matter, is a theologian. And the way that you live and the way that you think and the way that you are motivated, what you love, what you embrace and what controls your life tells us everything we need to know about your theology. And so many people live as if God did not exist. Even though they sit in churches and even though they sing the songs, then as soon as they walk out the door, it's like a switch flips and now it's my time. See, we think that if we give God... 10% of our money, the rest of it's ours. Nothing could be farther from the truth. And we also think, too, that if I will go to church for an hour on Sunday, the rest of the time is mine, and God will be pleased. Nothing could be farther from the truth. And that's why this is all important, because in the beginning, God is true. Now, how do people in our culture respond to these words? Everybody responds in one of four words. Number one, first response would be, of course, atheism. Some people go, that's not true. There is no God. In the uh, Greek language, whenever you put the A on the beginning of of a word, it's called the alpha privative, it negates that word. So if theism is from the word theos, which means God, atheist, atheism, atheism as we call it, would mean no God. Now when there's no God, that means there's no accountability, that means there's no rhyme or reason to anything, it means there's no heaven or hell, there's no judgment, there's nothing like that at all. And so we live in a society that largely believes that and has taken that as, well, that's the root of psychology, that's the root of uh, a lot of our biology, and uh, that also has now become the uh, basis for our morality, hasn't it? There's no God. And if God made me and I don't like the way that I'm made as a man, well, then I can become a woman or whatever. And we think we can do that with ourselves, with our lives, with our morals, with all of the knowledge. And yet God has so clearly revealed everything around us. And uh, in this scientific age, we understand more and more and more down to the very DNA of individuals. I can solve crime with that type of stuff and yet we look at that and we go huh isn't it amazing how random all of this is isn't it amazing how all of this fits together we can look at our environment we look at the ecosystem one of the things that amazes me is there's almost always something that will eat something else even if it's dead and rotten think about vultures they say that tigers Will eat uh, They will store meat, they will make a kill, and then they will hide that animal's carcass, and they will eat on it for days and days. I mean, yuck! But they also say that the taste buds on the tiger, that uh, the tongue is rough enough that they can lick that carcass and pull the fur off of it. That'll bless you. And then they also have such limited taste that they can eat the meat even after it is rotten and spoiled. Isn't that amazing? And we look at that and go, oh, man, that's kind of gross and disgusting. No, that's the glory of God. That's the creator who has put everything together so that everything is necessary and everything fits together. And yet we want to just throw it all off and go, Ah, there's nothing to it. And just a fable to believe in God and that type of thing. A lot of people live their lives like that. And also, when you embrace and believe that type of thing, what does it do? Where is your moral authority? Where is your instruction? What do you compare yourself to? Because every atheist would like to think that uh, even though I don't believe in God, I'm still a good person. Why do you believe, Mr. Atheist? That you are a good person. Well, I'm not like uh, Son of Sam. I'm not like the uh, BTK killer. Uh, I'm not those kind of things. I'm not Ted Bundy. And it's like, boy, you have some really high standards, don't you? you know? I'm not like Hitler. Well, who isn't? Right? But there's nothing that they really measure themselves by except themselves. Somebody said we're all, we all have a Bible. And it's a Bible either that we have written, that we have made up, or it is the truth of the Word of God. And far too many people, they just want to take whatever they say, whatever I say, whatever I think. I'm the standard, and I am the captain of my soul, if you've ever read the poem uh, Invictus. And that's the way people want to be. There's a glory war that is going on in all of the world. It started with Adam and Eve. Who's going to get the glory? Who's going to rule? Who's going to uh, set the rules? And who is going to follow the rules? And Adam and Eve both decided, no, we want that glory. We will be as gods. And the snake told me that we would not die, so let's take it. It looks good. Let's eat it. And that's been going on ever since. There's a war that is going on between humanity here on earth and God in heaven as to who will get glory, and we want the glory. We want to have it be on us. We did it. We handled it. We are the ones who accomplished it, and uh, that's the way that we live, as if God didn't even exist. Um, there's another quote here that I want to give that's very, very important because it shows the practicality of this, and uh, Tripp writes, Parents, this is an important point for you. Your children in the public school system and in the university will be educated by brilliant and gifted teachers who know their subjects well, but who... And he uses the word largely because thank God for Christian school teachers. Thank God for Christian educators who don't fall in this, but largely think we have evolved beyond any need to hold on to the unprovable tenets of ancient religion. This means these experts cannot give your child an accurate view of the universe or an accurate sense of who they are and what they should be doing, no matter how well these teachers communicate the facts of their subjects. Your children will also be entertained by systems that tend to have no time for the existence of God and few places of influence for those who do. You have a heightened position of responsibility, parents, for interacting from a biblical perspective and instructing from a biblical perspective with what your children are learning at school and viewing on all the popular media platforms. And sadly, a lot of parents, ask any of our school teachers, a lot of parents never check anything out. They don't care. Send them off to school. It's more babysitting. Now I can do whatever I want. And they don't really check anything at all. And sadly, that's true even of Christian parents. Just let them go. We'll take them to Sunday school. That'll take care of it. Think about how many hours your children are in front of a TV (laughs) or in front of a gaming system, or on social media, or in school around their friends and around teachers that may not be uh, the best influences on them, and then you bring them to school and you uh, Sunday school, and you tell Isaac, you got an hour, and I expect my children to be changed. How much sense does that make? And so what we're talking about here is taking all of these things that we sing about and talk about and argue about sometimes, but bringing them home to where they change our lives, where they can be demonstrated in front of our families, our neighbors, our children, and even here at church, so that uh, God is honored and God is glorified, because if that's not happening... Think about this. Psalm 14:1 says, "The fool says in his heart, there is no God." Now here's the result of that. They are corrupt and they do abominable deeds. Does that sound like the culture of the United States of America? It does. Why? Because we are letting fools run the country. We're letting fools set the agenda. We're letting fools educate our children to a large extent all of these things are going on in our lives and we're watching our culture just rot right before our very eyes well what are we going to do and how are we going to handle any of that we don't have enough influence we don't have enough money we don't have popularity we don't have the media we don't have any of those kind of things but god never designed for the church ...to hold or to have any of those kind of things... ...or to feel inferior because we don't. We have the written Word of God... ...and we have the truth of the Word of God... ...and He has made it so that we can understand these things... And these are the things we're going to be talking about. And they are the things that transform the way we see nature. They transform the way we use our money. They transform the way we view relationships. They transform the way that we live. What's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what's light, what's darkness. All of these things are given to us. Now here's the frustration some of us have with the Bible. It is not a reference book. It is not an encyclopedia. It's supposed to be your life. It's supposed to be something, not that you just pull off the shelf when you want to look at something. And even if you do, if you were to take, for example, in parenting, and you were to look up every reference to parenting in the Bible, you you would probably walk away saying, well, there wasn't much there. No, that's because the Bible does not intend for you just to look up subjects and then live by that. The entire Bible is about your parenting it's about the way you live the way you think it's about your motivation it's about pointing your family toward God it's about showing the fruit of the Spirit in your life it's all of those kind of things you need all of it in order to be a good parent not just the parts that seem relevant to you and that's why our churches and our society are falling apart because we want to scratch the itches we want to meet the needs and people have the idea of it doesn't address me. I'm not listening to it. So single people don't ever want to hear any preaching about marriages and people without uh, children don't want to hear anything on parenting. People that don't have any money don't want to hear about finances. And so we're all just sitting around saying me, me, me. The other day, uh, Jenny was telling us that, uh, Charlotte, she, said something, I think it was to Emma, and called her baby. And Charlotte goes, no, me, baby, me, baby. Right? Well, isn't that the way it is? Me, 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 preach to me, minister to me, serve me, make sure I'm happy, make sure I have what I need. And you can't do that, and you can't go out and be an army for Christ with a whole bunch of babies. We've got to grow up and we've got to take the Word of God and not just endure it and not just read it and check it off. We've got to pay attention to what it says and we've got to apply it to our lives or we're no different than the atheist. In fact, some of us are practical atheists because we say we believe in God, we just don't act like we need Him. We just don't act like we care that much about Him. We just don't act like there's any real uh, joy in serving Him and in getting to know Him. And so we're pretty laissez-faire about all of that. Let's talk about response number two. Then there's a response that we call mental assent to the concept of God. Yeah, I I get the concept of God. I'm not sure I believe the Bible. And I don't want to be a fanatic. And I don't want him to rule everything in my life because those people are weird. But whenever I'm asked and whenever anything comes up, I'll be happy to say I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. I'm cool with that. And uh, I'm happy with the president putting his hand on the Bible and swearing to uphold the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic And uh, uh, so help me God. I mean, that ought to be there. And I think God ought to be, they they might even say it wouldn't hurt to have a little more God in our schools. And it wouldn't hurt that if uh, every morning in public school they would read a Bible verse or have a prayer or something like that. But other than that, that's about as far as it goes. You don't want to be a crazy person. You don't want to be a fanatic for Jesus or anything like that. And do we even really know that Jesus existed? Do we really know those stories and miracles were true? Uh, Granted, there's probably a God, but it's probably not anything like we have in the Bible. And millions of people will live like that. Or if you go to a country like India, they uh, just make up their own. And they make images, and they make idols, and they worship those gods and goddesses. And some people do something even worse. They decide that they are God. A lot of people believe that. And they believe in the New Age movement that if you would just awaken to the God that you really are you've got it all and it's inside of you and you have the light inside of you just because you're who you are so just be the best you you can be and be enlightened by all of that and uh, everything would be great and uh, none of that uh, fits anything that is actual truth just the concept of god but no real love for god not even any knowledge of who he, and they might say even she is, heard somebody uh, start off a prayer one time. I can't remember where I was, but it started off like this. Father, Mother, God, we come before you. And uh, they have no idea what the Bible says. They're pushing an agenda. They're pushing a woke agenda, a politically correct agenda. And they even want in their concept of God to have diversity and uh, equity and all of those kind of things that are coming on. So that's that's one of them. And that's a very tepid, lukewarm response to the truth of in the beginning God. And uh, it just doesn't really seem to make much difference. It's just a concept, a theory, a religion, they might say. Response number three is this. They initially will receive the gospel. Maybe at a youth camp, maybe in vacation Bible school or something like that. They seem to be happy. Everybody else is happy. And so uh, they make a positive response to the gospel. And then they're baptized. And then they join the church. They even read their Bible. And they try to live morally. Okay? Now, not finished. Until, until things get hard. Until there's persecution until it's not popular or, ready for this, or something better comes along. Happened in the 60s. I can remember being in a training union class. How many of you remember training union? That was before church on Sunday nights. And it was supposed to train all of us in the church to be leaders in the church. Nothing wrong with that. But it kind of devolved into something else, as these things do. I remember, I was in fifth grade, it was in uh, uh, Fort Riley, Kansas, and we were sitting in church, and we were in training union using Southern Baptist literature, okay? And I remember we opened up, and we would all take turns reading and pass the book around and all of that. And this writer was so excited that John Lennon of the Beatles had said a few years before, we are more popular than Jesus Christ. Boy, there was kind of a riot that broke out all over the nation, people burning their records and all of that type of thing. And now, in 1971, we are reading in this training union quarterly that now those same Beatles are singing, My Sweet Lord. Isn't that great? Until you listen to the song. And it goes from the background singers singing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. They weren't singing about Jesus. And we didn't have enough discernment to know. We were going, Yay, they like us. Yay, we're popular. The Beatles are singing about my sweet Lord. Oh, mine too. No, they weren't. Completely different. And there were thousands and millions Of people that followed them into eastern religions mysticism and the new age movement was born out of all of that and it's still with us today you know why because a lot of those people grew up in church a lot of those people heard the gospel they were baptized they tried to live moral lives and then they found something a better offer came along. This is a whole lot easier than uh, all of the things that they wanted us to do in church. I can have sex anytime I want with anyone I want, regardless of their gender, and uh, I can do whatever I want, smoke whatever I want, drink whatever I want, say whatever I want. I'm free, baby. I can live any way that I want to. We're still being infected by that today. Just much, much worse. Why is that? because people embrace the concept of God, and other people actually embrace, they say, the God of the Bible and the gospel, but it's not real and it's not heartfelt. In case you haven't noticed it, this is the parable of the soils. Okay, Some of it falls on the pathway around and the birds come and take it away. That's the atheist. Then you have some where it falls on ground that it appears to spring up and it appears to be really good but well there's rock underneath it and so the roots don't have any depth so when the sun comes out and it gets hot they wither away some fall into a place where there's other kinds of seeds besides the good ones and the weeds come up and they choke out the real crop right but praise God there's another kind and this is response number four and this is when a person sees God has an awe of God that loves God, that wants to please God, and centers his entire life around God. This, this is what we're looking for, and this is what we really want to do and really what we want to be. And uh, this is the kind of thing to where it seems like it's kind of rare to find people like that. But when you think of the parable of the soils, the seed fell on four different types of soil and only one produced any crop. Uh, it's supposed to be kind of rare and we're supposed to understand that many there be that are on the broad road that leads to destruction but straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few there be that find the way it's always been that way it always will be that way and so we want to study this and we want to understand this because those of us who have embraced the gospel and embraced Christ We are called to be holy as He is holy. How do we know how to be holy? Oh, I feel really good today, and I think it's really awesome the way that I feel, and I feel like my life is just going in the right direction, and and everything's great. Well, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And there are times when you are going that way and it seems really great you're led off of a cliff or you find out that the bridge is out. You can't go by that and you can't go by intuition. You have to go by the Word of God. And the Word of God is more than just a collection of nice sayings, more than just bumper sticker slogans that are all through there and I... Boring, 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 boring. Oh, that was cool. I'll take that one out and I'll put it on my social media account, or I'll put it in my office, or I'll make a plaque out of it. We don't know what it means. We don't know what the context is because we've divorced ourselves from the doctrine of what we're supposed to live. Doctrine is supposed to teach us. It is supposed to instruct us. It is not just something we say we believe and affirm. It's something that we are to put into our lives, and we're to make it practical. It's a a functional theology in all of that now what happens when we see the gaps that come up in jonah chapter one we're told the story of the prophet and the prophet of god was told by god to go to do you remember the place nineveh yeah nineveh and nineveh was the capital of assyria it was a very very wicked place later assyria would invade israel and take them captive And so Jonah didn't want to go. And Jonah could look God in the face and say, No, the greatest oxymoron in the world is, No, Lord, those two things don't fit together, do they? And so Jonah takes off, gets on a boat to go as far away from Nineveh as he could, headed toward Tarshish. Well, you can't run from God because he's an omnipresent, omnipowerful, all-knowing God. And uh, God knew exactly what Jonah was doing, where he was, and then he stirred up a storm that terrified all of the sailors on the boat. And you remember the story? They were throwing off cargo, they were uh, praying to their false gods. And one of them went down to Jonah and woke him up. He was sleeping. And he said to him, "Who are you? Where are you from? What God do you serve?" And in Jonah chapter one verse nine, he says this: "I am a Hebrew." Is that accurate? Yeah, that's exactly who he was. And then he goes on to say, and I fear the Lord who made heaven and earth. Uh, Kind of a loose paraphrase there. Was that true? You don't fear God if you look at him and say, nope, I'm going my own way. And that must have been confusing to all of the sailors. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Then why are you here? And why have you brought all this? Remember they cast lots and it pointed to Jonah as being the problem. And uh, so that's what's going on. Now, how many Jonas do we have here tonight in this congregation? How many times tomorrow will you be a Jonah? I've got the fish thing on my car that identifies me as a Christian. I've got a Bible and I've got enough sermon notes to choke a mule and all of these kind of things. But when it comes to I don't know. Cheating on the time clock, I'll do it if it'll make me a little more money. After all, nobody will know. If it comes to maybe looking at pornography, uh, you know, uh, those two things, God will forgive me, it'll be okay. If it comes to treating people in a mean, rude, demeaning way, if it comes to being racially prejudiced or any of those things, a lot of people who will say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Hebrew, like Jonah did. And I fear the Lord. And people look and they go, if that's your God and that's the way that you live, I don't want anything to do with it. And we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ, representing our king in everything that we do. But how many times does our anger cause the gap to get wider? You don't look like what you say you are. We want the gap to get narrower. Are you unteachable? Are you a know-it-all? Are you a kind of a spiritual jerk when it comes to talking with other people? Do you enforce your way? Do you always have to have your way? Do you argue people into a corner? Are people afraid of you? And instead of approaching you, they they just leave you alone? That's not the way we want to be. That's not the way that Jesus was. And we are to be like Him. And so uh, that's the first point that we want to uh, cover tonight. And we want to understand that the gap needs to narrow. And by the way, what was it that got Jonah right with God? We need to talk about this. In Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, this time according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, 3 days journey in its breadth. And uh, so we find Jonah going there and what happened? They repented. God spared the city. Now Jonah did not change any of his beliefs when he told God no. He still believed in the God who created the heavens and the earth and the God he just wasn't going to live that way. And there are a lot of times when we look at our lives and what we say doesn't match up with the way we live, not because we changed our beliefs, but because our moral consciousness was not affected by what we say that we believe. We compartmentalized it. Put that all back in the closet, shut the door, we'll get it out next Sunday. That's not the way that we are supposed to live. And so I'm going to leave it with that tonight. And uh, we uh, are going to have different men That are going to be uh, teaching each week. And uh, we've got uh, Preston Burns has agreed to do this. And Chad Trench has agreed to do this. And Eric Espinoza has agreed to do this. And Andrew Cunningham has agreed to do this. Along with me and Brother Dale and Brother Isaac. And so we're all going to do this. And there will be some weeks like Easter Sunday night. We don't have an evening service. So it it won't be done just in a nice uh, quick 12 weeks. And next week, uh, Brother Preston has to be gone. And so I'm going to finish this particular thing and talk about point number two next week so that we can stay on top of all of that. And we're going to cover things that uh, are going to be wonderful about the sovereignty of God, and we're going to talk about things about the Bible, and we're going to talk about these different doctrines, the image of God, the doctrine of creation, doctrine of sin, doctrine of justification, sanctification, and glorification, and the doctrine of eternity. And all of these guys are going to help us to do that. I'd only intended on actually talking one time in all of this, and most of them will have two But um, anyway, that's what's going to be coming up. So next week, we'll finish this part up. So you can read the introduction in the book. If you don't have the book, we would encourage you to get the book. And we also want to encourage you, pray for these guys, okay? Because they have agreed to invest their time in you. And uh, this is time that is coming out of a busy schedule, a lot of work that they do. And uh, they love you enough and they love the church enough that they said, Yeah, I'm in. I'll do it. And all of them want to do that. And I praise God for men like this. And you know the other thing I praise God for? These guys that have agreed to do this, these are not the only men in the church that could. So praise God for that. And so as you pray for them, be sure that you attend, be sure that you read, Each week, the chapter that is coming up so that you kind of have a working knowledge of it. And again, we're not going to get up here and just simply read out of the book and bore you to death. When I first went to college, uh, I had a biology class at OSU, and it had like 600 people in it, it seemed like. And uh, after a while, I found out, number one, they didn't take role. That was not good for me. And number two, I found out all that lady was doing was reading straight out of the book, and I go, whew, I can do that at home. So I quit going to class. Not that I can handle this, except for one thing. One time I went in there, and I found out that she had given a pop quiz. In other words, things did not go exactly the way I thought they were going to go, and it vastly affected my grade and my knowledge on all of that. I squeak through, but just barely. So many times in life, we come to church, we read books like this, and we go, oh, I've got this. Oh, I understand all of this. But you never know when the pop quizzes of life are going to come up, and they kind of bite you, don't they? I wish I knew. I wish I understood. Well, through all of this, you're going to get a greater understanding. You say, well, I don't think I'll learn anything new. Well, if you have that attitude, you won't. But what if you do? And what if one of these men says something and they say it in a way you go, I've never thought of that before. And you begin to put things together and you take a step forward in your entire Christian life. Or you are so stimulated by all of that you help somebody else take a step forward in their Christian life. Or maybe you gain confidence in the God that you serve that you have more confidence to witness to the lost. I mean, to me, this is what I call, to quote our friend Wayne Robinson, a win-win situation, right? So I hope you're excited about it. I hope you're looking forward to it. I hope you invest into this. I hope you will be here for all of these. I hope you will be prayed up about all of this so that God is glorified in your life and in the church. May we pray. Father, as we look at all of this, we realize that we sometimes appear to be more hypocritical than we would like to admit. And we have this dichotomy in what we believe and how we live. We believe in the sovereignty of God, yet we're so fearful. We say that we have trusted God and He is worthy of our trust, and yet everything just kind of freaks us out and, and we fall apart at things. Or sometimes we learn all of these things and then we just become mean And we become jerks and we become judgmental. And that's not what the intent is in any of this. We want to be like Jesus. So please help us. Please have mercy on us. And please use this for your glory and for your will in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, thank you so much for being here tonight. We'll kind of get part two next week. Don't let that keep you from coming. But... um, Uh, Be sure and be a part of all of this. Thank you so much. God bless you.